But what I want to do on today's podcast is give you my top recommendations for burning fat and effectively turning yourself into a fat burning machine. And the key thing is you need to start burning fat preferentially as a fuel rather than glucose. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, it's Angela here and welcome to another episode of the High Performance Health Podcast. In today's episode, it's going to be a solo sode with me talking all about turning your body into a fat burning machine. I get so many questions from people asking me, how can I burn more fat? How can I get leaner? How can I enhance my metabolism? And what is the perfect diet for me? So I thought in today's episode, we could have a little solo sode where I basically give you the lowdown on some of the fat loss myths that circulate and also basically show you you how you can burn more fat and really upgrade your metabolism. So the first thing to note is that fat is not converted into muscle or excreted away in your feces. In fact, what the research shows is that you actually breathe away fat. That's right. Your lungs are actually the primary excretory organs for weight loss. And this basically happens via the exhalation of carbon, which is replaced by the carbon in your food. So what that means is, is that the quickest way to lose weight starts with putting less into your body from carbon sources that are derived from food than the same carbon that you've exhaled by breathing. But just hold on here. It's not as simple as simply eating less and moving more. That is actually a myth. And Jonathan Baylor has a great book called The Calorie Myth, How to Eat More, Exercise Less, Lose Weight and Live Better, which I highly recommend checking out if you haven't already. And here's a paragraph from the book. Eating less does not create the need to burn body fat. Instead, it creates the need for the body to slow down. Contrary to popular opinion, the body hangs on to fat. Instead, it burns muscle tissue, and that worsens the underlying cause of obesity. Only as a last resort, if the body has no other option, it may also burn a bit of body fat. So why does the body hang on to body fat and burn muscle? To answer that question, let's look at it in another way. What does metabolism want more of when it thinks you are starving? Stored energy. And what is a great source of stored energy? Body fat. So when your, meta- when your metabolism thinks you're starving, does it really want you to get rid of or hold on to body fat? It wants to hold on. And next, what does your metabolism want less of when we are starving? It wants less tissue, which actually burns a lot of calories. And so what type of tissue burns a lot of calories? Muscle tissue. So when your metabolism thinks you are starving, it gets rid of calorie-hungry muscle tissue. And burning all this muscle means that starving yourself leads to more body fat, unfortunately, not less over the long term. As soon as you stop starving yourself, you have all the calories that you used to have, but you now need less of them. And thanks to all that missing muscle and a slowed down metabolism, the result is that your body stores more fat. Now, after our metabolism is starved, its number one priority is restoring all the body fat it lost and protecting us from starving in the future. And researchers call this fat super accumulation. Um, Researcher E.A. Young at the University of Texas notes, these and other studies strongly suggest that fat super accumulation after energy restriction is a major factor contributing to relapsing obesity so often observed in humans. Um, And I quote this from 
Jonathan Baylor's book. Now, the most frustrating aspect of fat superaccumulation is that as soon as we go back to eating a normal amount, we gain weight. And in fact, studies show that the average person gains around 11 pounds of body fat for every diet that they go on. Now I break this down and some of the other fat loss myths and also how your genetics actually affects your body composition in a brand new live masterclass that I'm hosting. So if you want to join me and have the opportunity to ask me questions on this topic, um, you can just go to bit.ly forward slash DNA masterclass and register for free. Um, but what I want to do on today's podcast is give you my top recommendations for burning fat and effectively turning yourself into a fat burning machine. And the key thing is you need to start burning fat preferentially as a fuel rather than glucose. Now, the first thing that I would suggest is cleaning up your diet and lowering inflammation. Inflammation is a huge issue and has been linked to many of the chronic diseases that we're seeing, and it can be caused by many stressors, including psychological stress, lack of sleep. But the primary cause, to the surprise of a lot of people, is actually processed vegetable oils. And many people are consuming way, way too many pro-inflammatory oils, which are actually high in omega-6 fats. And the standard American diet, which I'm, I'm sure none of you listening to this podcast are eating, contains an omega-3 to 6 ratio of around 1 to 30. Now, to put this into perspective, an ideal ratio would be no more than 1 to 3 or 1 to 4. And processed vegetable oils are often heat treated and they've been subjected to high pressure, which results in them being highly oxidized. And unfortunately, this results in a one-two punch of both inflammation and insulin resistance. Now, most polyunsaturated oils are very unstable and they're highly prone to oxidation. And oxidation, unfortunately, promotes the production of highly toxic substances in your arteries, which also promotes leptin resistance inflammation and insulin resistance. So the top tactic first, I would say, to lose any unwanted body fat is actually to cut out any oils that are pro-inflammatory. And these include oils such as peanut oil, uh, canola, or known in the UK as rapeseed oil, sunflower oil, and safflower oil. And I recommend replacing these with healthier options such as extra virgin organic olive oil and high quality coconut oil, and then in small amounts, organic grass-fed butter or ghee. And if you sign up to my free masterclass, you can also download a free PDF on fat, which actually gives you details of the ones that are healthy, which ones are not, and also importantly, which temperatures you can heat each fat to, because a lot of the problems comes when we heat these oils to very high temperatures. And so even unhealthy fats, such as extra virgin organic olive oil, can become pro-inflammatory if it's heated past its smoke point. So, um, as I say, you can go to bit.ly forward slash DNA masterclass and sign up there and you'll get that free download as well. Now, once you've got inflammation under control, the next thing I would recommend is actually controlling your blood sugar variability. High glycemic variability is another big part of why so many people struggle to lose weight. And glycemic variability refers basically to the oscillating amounts of circulating blood sugar at any given point and also the fluctuations in your blood sugar that occur at the same time on different days. So if you're looking to burn fat, it's one of the most important variables that you need to master. When you have excess blood glucose, your body has two choices, to either store it in the, um, in the liver and muscles as long-term glycogen or to store it as body fat. And the liver being a relatively small organ has a very limited capacity to store glycogen and how much you store in muscle tissue depends on how lean and how much muscle mass you have. 
Now, this doesn't necessarily mean you need to avoid all sources of sugar and all carbohydrates or go on a, an extreme kind of ketogenic or carnivore diet. Um, but it is worth noting that all carb carbohydrates, whether they're complex or simple carbohydrates, ultimately get broken down and end up as glucose in the blood. And I would say the most important thing is to make sure that you're eating cellular carbohydrates. And what I mean by that is whole food sources of carbohydrates that are completely intact. Um, so they contain both the skin and the fiber, and that can help to stabilize blood sugar. It's also really important, obviously, to make sure that you're not eating too many carbohydrates for your size and also for your own lean muscle mass. Now, muscle burns around seven times the calories of fat, and so muscle really is your friend. I like to think of muscle as the organ of longevity, and the more lean functional muscle tissue you have, the greater your metabolic flexibility, which is why strength training is one of the top things on my list for enhancing your metabolism and improving blood sugar control, which we'll come onto in a moment. Now, whether levels of sugar in the blood are elevated, um, when that happens, whenever it happens, the pancreas releases a hormone called insulin. And insulin essentially helps to move blood sugar into the cells of the liver and muscles and helps to bring your blood sugar back down to its normal level. And the liver and muscles can, as I've mentioned already, can only hold a limited amount of long-term glucose known as glycogen. Now, following this, the excess sugar is converted into triglycerides and that can be stored as body fat or otherwise known as adipose tissue. And when insulin levels are consistently high over a long period of time, then the cells can actually become intolerant to insulin. And when this happens, insulin is not able to efficiently clear sugar from the blood, which can cause blood sugar levels to be elevated for extended periods of time. And this, unfortunately, also contributes to inflammation, which you'll remember was the first point on my list in terms of fat loss. We want to keep inflammation low because that can actually damage blood vessels across your body, including those that supply the brain and other organs. Insulin is also a type of growth hormone, and so it helps to create an environment that basically favors fat storage. So if you find that you're gaining weight around your abdominal area, which is known as visceral fat, you are most likely not managing your blood sugar terribly well, or your stress levels, or both. And when insulin is high, unfortunately, it blocks your ability to burn fat. And in modern times, because of the number of processed foods in our diet, many people are struggling with higher insulin levels for much of the time. And consequently, they end up carrying more body fat than they would like and more than is actually healthy. So it may surprise you to learn that many of our organs actually like to burn fat for fuel. Your heart muscle is designed to obtain 40 to 70% of its energy from fat. And your brain, which is your kind of supercomputer, can also be powered by fat. And fatty acids are actually converted by the liver into compounds known as ketone bodies or ketones. And when ketones are present, you enter a natural state known as ketosis. And they can help to increase the production of something known as gamma aminobutyric acid or GABA, which you may have heard of. And that's a neurotransmitter that exerts a calming effect on the brain. And that's one of the main reasons that a ketogenic diet is so effective in helping to treat ep epilepsy. Um, now, there's also some incredible benefits that you can get by including sirtuin activating compounds in your diet or otherwise known as stacks. And stacks essentially activate sirtuin genes in the same way that caloric restriction, 
um, intermittent fasting and exercise do as well. So what that means is these powerful foods actually mimic the effects of fasting and exercise. So they can actually be a really powerful addition and help you to live healthier and leaner and longer. And the gene that's been well studied for driving fat loss is a gene known as SIRT1. And in studies in mouse, mice, sorry, mice have been, that have been genetically engineered to have high levels of SIRT1 are leaner and more metabolically active um, than mice that lack the SIRT1. And those are fatter with a greater instance of metabolic diseases. And in human studies, it's been shown that obese individuals have lower levels of SIRT1 in their body fat. And in one study, it was shown that people who are leaner and less likely to struggle with weight gain actually have higher levels of SIRT1 gene activity. Now, the great thing is that if you're consuming foods that are rich in sirtuin activating compounds or stacks, this enhances the activity of sirtuins. And the other great thing about foods rich in sirtuins is that they are master regulators of our metabolism. So not only can they help you live younger for longer, they can also help you to stay lean and fit. And Aidan Goggins and Glenn Matten talk about this in their great book, The Cert Food Diet, the original and official Cert Food Diet that's taken the celebrity world by storm. I believe that's actually, in fact, the diet that Adele recently used um, for her kind of dramatic weight loss. Um, and as the authors elaborate in that book, foods rich in sirtuin activating compounds or stacks have a significant impact on fat burning while also increasing muscle and enhancing cellular fitness. So consuming sirtuin rich foods and, to and taking sirtuin activators are actually a powerful combination for enhancing your metabolism and reducing cellular damage and actually enhancing youthfulness as well. So not only are you helping yourself to burn more fat, but you're also helping to make yourself younger as well. And sirtuins help to protect your cells from oxidative stress and the resulting decline. They actually help your body to repair DNA that's been damaged from everyday functions and exposure to toxins. And they also play a role in helping to maintain the length of your telomeres. So what are the foods that contain the highest number of sirtuin activating compounds? Well, they include foods like apples, um, bird's eye chili, blueberries, broccoli, cacao and cacao nibs, cucumbers, extra virgin um, organic olive oil, grapes, kale and parsley and peppers. Really, essentially, what we're looking at here is a very colorful food. So pomegranate, red onion, um, organic red wine, especially if it's dry farmed, rocket or known in the US as arugula, strawberries, turmeric and walnuts. So those are some of the sirtuin enhancing compounds. Um, and the other thing that I recommend in addition to having these sirtuin enhancing compounds is to incorporate as many blood sugar stabilizing herbs and spices and plants as you can. So in this regard, it's including things like apple cider vinegar, which for example, I will commonly dress a salad in at lunchtime with some extra virgin or um, organic olive oil. And that's been shown to help with blood sugar control as well as things like wild bitter melon and things like astragalus. And the other compound that's also pretty potent in terms of controlling your blood sugar and also as an anti-aging compound is berberine. And I talked about this on my recent podcast with Sean Wells, who's also known as the world's greatest formulator. And we discussed at length anti-aging and longevity compounds and also how to create metabolic flexibility um, and how best to use the ketogenic diet. So I definitely recommend going back and checking out that episode if you haven't already. And then finally, on the nutrition side of things, consuming enough fiber is really, really important for gut health and also um, important in stabilizing blood sugar and it can actually help you to burn more fat. Fiber breaks down into short chain fatty acids that actually inhibit the conversion of glucose 
into fat and also helps to increase insulin sensitivity. So let's now go through some of my top tips for controlling blood sugar and glycemic variability through exercise. So the first one I'd like to mention here is strength training. Now, if you're gonna do any form of exercise over and above making sure that you're getting enough movement during the day, by walking um, at least 10,000 steps is what I recommend, then the first form of exercise I would suggest you schedule in is strength training at least one to two times a week. Now this can be as simple as body weight exercises such as squats and push-ups and pull-ups. What you need to make sure is that you're mixing things up as much as possible so that you avoid what's known as the SED principle. And the SED principle stands for Specific Adaptation to Imposed Demands. And basically what it means is you need to constantly be mixing up the stimulus so that your body doesn't become used to one form of exercise that you're doing. And you can do this in a variety of ways, really. You can change the positions of the exercises you're doing. You can change the speed with which you're doing them. You can change the amount of, um, of resistance that you're using, or you can mix up the repetitions and number of sets. But the main thing is to be constantly mixing it up. And if you're looking to build muscle, then one of the most important things that you must do is to use what's known as progressive overload. This basically means that you need to progressively increase the amount of resistance that you're using. The other thing I say is move around more. So I mentioned there the 10,000 steps. Um, it's really, really important to be moving more. Ideally, what you want to be doing is performing around an hour of moderate exercise each day, as this has been shown to increase your metabolic rate by around sevenfold. And it's what's known as non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or NEAT for short. And getting this from daily activities, like taking the stairs more often, parking further away, or constantly moving positions, so having a standing workstation and then um, maybe kneeling for a bit and then getting back up and stretching and just general fidgeting all contributes to NEAT. And one of the best ways to kind of track how much you're doing is actually to wear um, a wearable device such as a Fitbit or an Aura Ring, which is the one that I wear, and actually track the number of steps that you're walking per day because you can't really measure what you don't track. So I'm definitely someone who really likes to look at data. And I would suggest that you do aim for at least 10 to uh, sorry, 10,000 to 12,000 steps per day. Now, in terms of doing that kind of overall movement and walking, it brings me to my next point, which is actually doing some form of fasted activity. And so some of the activity that you're doing there could actually comprise an early morning walk in a fasted state. And that can really help to boost the fat burning effect if you consume some caffeine before it. So something like a black coffee or an espresso before you go on that fasted walk as it helps with fatty acid um, oxidation. And I find that a fasted walk is a great way to start the day. It's something that you can kind of commit to on a daily basis. It's not too strenuous. Um, so it's not pushing cortisol up too high. And it's also not something that you're going to dread and think, well, I might just call it off today, um, which is what we commonly do. So the other cool thing to mention that you can do to enhance your metabolism is just to do a quick 60 seconds of activity prior to eating. And that's actually been shown to really enhance your insulin sensitivity. So literally something as simple as 60 seconds of body weight squats or jumping jacks, jumping jacks, sorry, while you're in the kitchen next to the counter preparing your evening meal um, has really been shown to enhance blood um, sugar, uh, blood sugar management, should I say. And postprandial exercise is also really effective in controlling glycemic variability. So going for a walk for somewhere between 10 to 30 minutes after a meal has also been shown to enhance blood sugar control. 
And then the next thing I say is HIIT training. So this is also really effective um, for fat loss, but you just need to be careful that you don't overdo it, especially um, in women, as this can actually raise cortisol too high. So I'm going to go into that a bit more in a moment when I talk about the impact of cortisol on fat loss. Um, But if you are struggling with fat loss and you want to try something different in terms of exercise, there's a very effective form of training that you can try. It's known as the original Stubborn Fat 1.0 protocol. And it was developed by Lyle McDonald, who's the author of the women's book, volume one. And essentially what you do is you use a short hit workout with slightly longer intervals to generate a hormonal response, which mobilizes that fat. Now, while HIT does very effectively mobilize fatty acids within fat cells, they can become trapped to some degree, especially if you've got weight loss resistance, and they're only released after about five minutes or so. So that's why in this protocol that Lyle developed, he basically suggests taking a break for five minutes at the end of the the HIT session, which allows those fatty acids to be released into the bloodstream, and then you follow this with a small amount of LIS, so low intensity activity, and that can help them to be burned off rather than being re-estrified and um, absorbed in the body. So for best results, the way that you do this is you do it in a fasted state, ideally, first thing in the morning, or alternatively, three to four hours after a meal. And this is the routine. You warm up for about five to 10 minutes, and then you do interval or HIIT training for 10 minutes. And Lyle suggests that you do a one minute, one minute, sorry, one minute on, one minute off protocol at an RPE. Your RPE is your rate of perceived exertion of around seven. So you're basically doing HIIT style training, one minute hard, one minute um, recovery, one minute hard, one minute recovery at an RPE of seven for about 10 minutes. You then rest for five minutes to allow those fat cells to be released. And then you can have some water. I would generally say move around during that period. So just gently moving and walking. And then you go and do 20 to 40 minutes of LIS at an RPE of three or four. So this is going low and slow. Um, A stationary bike would be an ideal um, piece of equipment to do this entire workout on carries a very low risk of injury and it's super effective. And if you want even better results to aid in that fatty acid oxidation, then I would recommend having a black coffee before and you can follow that workout with a cold shower. So the protocol is intense. And so what I would say is don't do it more than once or a maximum twice a week. Otherwise, again, you could just end up um, raising cortisol too high. So let's look at some of the other reasons now why you might not be burning fat if you've got this weight loss resistance. Um, Sleep is another biggie. So um, if you're not sleeping well, that can play a big part. Apart from the fact that when we don't sleep well, we tend to have dysregulation of things like ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin is a hunger hormone, leptin is a satiety hormone. Being underslept has been shown to affect weight loss directly. And in a study um, of a group of men and women who were placed on a strict calorie controlled diet in a medical center for two weeks, they gave one half five and a half hours of sleep and the other half eight and a half hours of sleep. And in the group that slept for five and a half hours, what they they found was that 70% of the pounds lost came from muscle mass, not fat, not body fat. Whereas in the group that slept for eight and a half hours each night, 50% of the pounds lost came from fat while preserving muscle. Um, So sleep is definitely a really important part. You can literally sleep yourself thin. And as Matthew Walker writes in his book, Why We Sleep, which is again, another great book if you haven't read it, 
When you're not getting enough sleep, the body becomes especially stingy about giving up fat. So poor quality, short duration sleep may also in and of itself promote obesity and diabetes risk, he says. The next thing I wanna mention is you might just be too warm. Like many of us are literally too warm and comfortable for most of the day and shivering can actually help you to burn more fat. And um, it could be things like keeping your office temperature a bit cooler or going out for a walk with minimal clothing on, for example, um, and taking cold showers or baths. If you are gonna go out for a cold walk as the, the temperature drops, I recommend putting on even like hat and gloves so that you've got your extremities Um, kept warm, but it's basically the main core of your body is cooler. And taking cold showers or baths is really helpful as well. My favorite time to take a cold shower is definitely in the morning after some fasted exercise. It literally makes you feel amazing and it helps you to burn more fat, but it also means that you've just done something really hard. So unless you love cold showers, which Wim Hof claims you do love over time, um, I wouldn't say I love them, but I definitely love the effects of them. Um, And so when you have a cold shower, you're basically doing something really hard at the beginning of the day. And it somehow just makes everything else seem easier and makes you feel more in control. And it also massively wakes you up. Um, Nothing like a cold shower for waking you up and improves your mental focus and cognition. Um, So it basically just makes you feel all round on fire. Um, And there's a hormone, adiponectin, which is released during cold exposure, and that actually helps you break down fat and also moves glucose into your muscles, which can also help to lower blood sugar. So again, it's helping with glycemic variability. The next point, this sounds like a really long list now, doesn't it, is too much cortisol. So I've mentioned this a couple of times as we've been going through things, but cortisol is a biggie. Cortisol disrupts normal insulin activity and it can be spiked by a number of factors. But it's basically when you've got too much stress in your life or your load is too high in terms of everything that you're doing. Think about the allostatic load as a kind of melting pot of everything that you're doing. So if you're doing lots of exercise, you're working really hard, maybe you're a parent, you're running around with the children as well. All these things are piling on, any stressful thoughts that you've got. Basically, it's like a glass filling up. We can only take too much before it overflows. Now, one of the best ways that you can look at your cortisol levels at home is by tracking a metric known as heart rate variability. So the heart is not meant to beat as a metronome. So if we take a average um, heart rate of 60 beats per minute, we would not expect it to see one beat per second. That's not how the heart is meant to beat. It's actually meant to have some variability. Um, Once we start to see lower heart rate variability, so it becomes more like a metronome, the heart is trying to regulate things. And that's generally because there's something in the body that's off. So having a look at your heart rate variability, I like to track mine overnight with an aura ring. You want about two weeks to get to a baseline level. And once you know what your baseline level is, you can actually track whether it's dropping. And if it drops by about 20%, you need to start engaging in a bit more recovery and giving yourself more time. If it drops by 40%, this is really like a bit of an alarm bell and maybe you're heading towards something like burnout. So heart rate variability, great thing to be tracking. Um, If you see consistently low values or inconsistent values, um, you're likely overreducing cortisol. And 
The other thing you can do as well, and probably the most cutting edge way to truly see what's going on with your cortisol levels is actually to test them. And my top pick for doing that is the Dutch test, which involves multiple urine and salivary samples that are taken over the course of a day. And it's really simple to do all from the comfort of your own home. And as you're taking so many samples, it's one of the most accurate and most reliable. And high cortisol is one of the main reasons that, as I've already mentioned, I actually recommend gentle exercise in the morning because when you're exercising hard first thing in the morning, you're likely going to stimulate even greater production of cortisol. And cortisol is already high in the morning because we have something known as the cortisol awakening response, which is basically designed to get you going. And higher levels of cortisol can inhibit fat loss and they can also lead to fatigue in the mid to late afternoon. So um, the other thing that happens with a hard hitting early morning workout is that it can actually lead to overeating later in the day. But what I would say is if this is the only time you have to exercise on any one given day, then for the most part, a workout is better than no workout. And at the end of the day, the best time to exercise is after all the time that you're actually going to do it. But the type of exercise I find works best for most people on waking and one that they'll actually commit to on a daily basis and really helps to get your step count up is some gentle exercise such as a brisk walk or um, something like a yoga session. And as I've mentioned, you can enhance the fat burning effect of it by consuming a black coffee or green tea before doing that exercise. And you can boost that even further by doing the cold shower like I do afterwards. Now, if you're thinking a cold shower just makes you start to shiver immediately, you can actually start really slowly by simply just finishing your usual shower with a 15 to 30 second cold rinse and then just slowly increase daily. So you don't have to pile in cold all at once. Um, but lots of people that I see with weight loss resistance are often their cortisol is too high and they're overdoing things like HIIT training. Um, commonly, I'll see people that are scheduling multiple classes per day. And for women in particular, that can actually really raise cortisol too high and inhibit fat loss. And higher estrogen in women in their menstruating years means that women actually find it harder to make muscle. And during the high hormone phase of their menstrual cycle, it can be harder to rebuild and repair muscles after exercise. And this is compounded by the fact that higher levels of progesterone in the second phase of the menstrual cycle increases muscle breakdown. So one thing I would say with women is you want to be a bit more careful with managing cortisol and also getting sufficient protein post-exercise is really important for women to rebuild their muscles and counter that signaling by the body to store fat. Women should actually, I recommend, aim to consume about 20 to 25 grams of protein, maybe up to 30 grams within 30 minutes of finishing their exercise session. And while this is an ongoing area of research, in the second phase of the menstrual cycle, it can be harder for women to make and maintain muscle. And so going too hard at that point can actually just have the opposite effect of making you catabolize more muscle tissue, which in turn affects your metabolism. Um, just a quick point on oral contraceptives, because these increase hormone levels significantly. And so basically, if you are taking the oral contraceptive pill, then you can consider yourself always in a high hormone phase. So even during the week where you're um, having a week off, natural estrogen surges up to concentrations to mimic the kind of natural luteal phase. Um, so the real takeaway there is for menstruating women in particular, you need to be careful about not raising cortisol too high. That can be from anything from stress, from over-exercising, or even for fasting for too long a periods. Um, so you don't want to necessarily be doing extended fasts as a menstruating woman. It really comes down to how much else you've got going on in your life at that time. And 
it can impact female sex hormone balance if cortisol is too high and that can actually now then further compound fat loss resistance but again the dutch test is a brilliant test to do to check hormone levels for both men and for women and no discussion about fat loss would be complete without mentioning thyroid function because this does play a big part in metabolism. And if you think thyroid function may be an issue, I recommend working with a good functional medicine practitioner and running some blood tests. They'll actually run tests for you that are a bit more sensitive than what you might find in your local GP practice because sometimes we get told everything's fine and actually you're still at the very lower end of the range, even if it's in the doctor's kind of quote unquote healthy range, it can be impacting your metabolism. And if you do have thyroid issues, slowing down and avoiding stress is really, really key. Um, you can also consider eating thyroid supporting foods. So things like seaweed and dulse, which contain iodine, um, both iodine and selenium are important for thyroid function. And so making sure that you're getting enough iodine in your diet together with sources of selenium from foods like Brazil nuts and shellfish or oysters, really important. Even two or three Brazil nuts a day um, is probably going to give you enough selenium in terms of what you need. Now, you can also find out your genetically based vitamin and mineral needs. Um, so some people have a greater need for iodine, for B vitamins, um, for any, any of the main vitamins and minerals. And you can find that out by doing a simple DNA test. And that also explains your carbohydrate and fat sensitivity. So when you're finalizing any kind of nutritional plan for yourself, I always recommend looking at your DNA to see what your sensitivity is to things like saturated fats and also carbohydrate sensitivity, particularly if you're someone who's struggling with fat loss resistance or if you've been following a more kind of extreme style diet in terms of going very low carb or the keto diet, it's worth looking at your underlying sensitivity to saturated fats and also to things um, like hypercholesterolemia and hypertriglycidemia. So it's really important, I think, to get those checked out. And as I mentioned, if you're interested in finding out more about DNA testing and dispelling the myths behind fat loss resistance, then definitely come and check out my free live masterclasses that I'm running at the moment. You can just go to bit.ly forward slash DNA masterclass to register and you can learn all about DNA testing and how to turn your body into a fat burning machine. Um, come along, it's completely free. I host these lives pretty regularly and you can ask me any questions that you want. So the link is bit.ly forward slash DNA masterclass. And I hope to see you on that. Um, that was a lot of information in today's episode, but basically to sum things up, there are certain things that you do want to focus on to burn more fat and stay lean. Firstly, you need to keep inflammation low and also control your blood sugar variability. Next thing to mention is to make sure that you're moving enough. So get your 10,000 steps a day in and add in some fasted morning exercise with a caffeine boost and a cold shower for extra fat burning effects. Also, the thing to note is to make sure you're strength training twice a week, ideally, with some HIIT training thrown in, but don't overdo it as you'll likely raise cortisol too high. And then sleep, sleep, sleep. I can't overstress that enough. Focus on high quality sleep and eating a plant-based diet with lots of fibrous vegetables and saturin-rich foods and plenty of protein. If you're looking to change your body composition, then what the science shows is you should be getting around one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Um, so that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode with yours truly. And if you'd like more information, check out the show notes on my website, www.angelafosterperformance.com. And if you found this helpful and think a friend or family member would benefit, then please share it with them. Um, I like sharing the love. So thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. 
You can grab the show notes, the resources, and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body, and lifestyle. <laughs>